Good morning. My name is Reverend Marisol Caballero, or Mari, as many call me, and I would love to welcome you here this morning. So I will. Welcome. <laughs> we are a liberal religious community in the heart of central Austin, and we have space here in our community for all, no matter where you come from, what your beliefs are, or um, what you carry in with you this morning. So welcome. I want to direct you, if you're a newcomer, um, a special, especially welcome to you, and direct you to the welcome folks at the welcome table after service. Please do visit with them. These words are by Carol Meyer. We are people of all ages who enter this space, bringing our joys and our concerns. We come together in hope. We greet each other warmly with our voices and smiles. We come together in peace. We light this chalice as we did today to symbolize our interdependence and our unity. We come together in harmony. We share our growth and our aspirations. We come together in wonder. We share our losses and our disappointments. We come together in sorrow. We share our concern and our compassion. We come together in love. We come to this place bringing our doubts and our faith. We come together as seekers. We sing and pray and listen. We speak and read and dream. We think and ponder and reflect. We cry and laugh and center. We mourn and celebrate and meditate. We strive for justice and for mercy. We come together in worship. Now, every Sunday we do come together in worship, and we come from many different backgrounds and schools of thought. And as Meg likes to say, people do sometimes ask, how do we do that if we have such diverse beliefs and we come from such diverse places and, and cultures and backgrounds? And one simple nutshell answer one of many, <laughs> that are sometimes not as simple in nutshell, is our wonderful mission statement that just says it, doesn't it? And that is, we come together in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Today's reading is from Parker Palmer's book, The Courage to Teach. Eric Erickson, reflecting on adult development, says that in midlife we face a choice between stagnation and generativity. On one hand, generativity suggests creativity, the ongoing possibility that no matter our age, we can help co-create the world. On the other hand, it suggests uh, the endless emergence of the generations, which is implied which is the implied imperative that the elders look back toward the young 
to help them find the future that the elders will not see. Put these two images together and generativity becomes creativity in the service of the young. In a way in which the elders serve not only the young, but also their own well-being. In the face of apparent judgment of the young, teachers must turn toward their students, not away from them. Saying, in effect, there are great gaps between us. But no matter how wide and perilous they may be, I'm committed to bridging them. Not only because you need me to help you on your way, but also because I need your insight and energy to help renew my own life. Good teaching is an act of hospitality toward the young, and hospitality is always an act that benefits the host even more than the guest. The concept of hospitality arose in ancient times when this reciprocity was easier to see. In nomadic cultures, the food and shelter that uh, one gave to a stranger yesterday is the food and shelter one hopes to receive from a stranger tomorrow. By offering hospitality, one participates in the endless reweaving of a social fabric on which all can depend. Thus, the gift of sustenance for the guest becomes the gift of hope for the host. In that way, and in teaching as well, the teacher's hospitality to the student results in a world more hospitable to the teacher. Now I'd like to invite you to please join me in the spirit of prayer and meditation. This prayer for, uh, that summons the God of all generations was written by Marta M. Flanagan. God of all generations, in all the power, mystery, and design of this world, draw us near. Inspire us to see anew the life before us. Make us like the child who sees so clearly and touches so deeply. From the source of our being, we yearn for new vision, new eyes to see the world, new ears to hear the cries of sorrow and of joy. Uplift us to the glories behind, beheld in ourselves, rather, and in those around us. And yes, open our hearts to the pain we guard within ourselves and to the pain known by the hungry in body and in spirit. In this moment of life, sustain us in the silence of our own thoughts and prayers. I always tell people that I have the best gig. I do. I spent so many years working with kids in various settings, and as much as I knew with my whole heart that ministry was the vocation to which my soul called me, I knew that once ordained and gainfully employed, I would surely miss getting to spend time with kids. After all, kids are the coolest people I know. Well, some of them, anyhow. 
Annie, one of our resident preschool theologians, for example, is known to ask questions like, why does everyone have a body? And do I have to be a person? (laughs) But in this gig here at First UU, I have been handed a living in which I get the opportunity to do ministry in the traditional sense, to meet interesting people and walk with them a ways through life, to prepare and give sermons from time to time, to plan programming, to facilitate adult spiritual learning experiences, and... I'm also given the privilege of doing the sort of ministry that I have been spending most of my life engaging in. I'm given the opportunity, and often, to learn from and with children. Last spring, I stepped in as lead Sunday school teacher when one of our volunteers couldn't make it at the last minute. I was working with a group of seven- and eight-year-olds, and the lesson was about varying ideas about God. We read a beautifully illustrated storybook that talked about how people view God differently and find God in many places. Afterward, we took out some crayons, markers, and blank construction paper. We emphasized that there's no right or wrong way in understanding God And that it's okay if everyone has a different picture or if everyone drew the exact same thing. The only instruction was to draw God. In the next few minutes, I saw, because it didn't take long, they knew what they were going to draw. I saw a picture of a big tree. I saw a picture of a forest trail, a big, bright yellow sun, an old man with a beard sitting on a cloud, a rainbow, and a kitty cat. Without having studied the complexities of quantum physics, these kids had explained it to me with crayons. We are all made up of the same stuff, as everything else in the universe. Without spelling it out, they linked their playful curiosities and uninhibited wonder to our lofty Unitarian Universalist principles. Divinity exists in all. Still discovering the world around them, everything is still awesome in the true sense of the word. Does the world become less awesome as we learn about it all? Or do we lose sight of our sense of wonder as we age? Is it a bit of both? Alison Gopnik, a professor of psychology and philosophy at UC Berkeley, says that the brains of babies and young children operate similarly to the brains of the most brilliant scientists. And, the most power, and that they're the most powerful learning computers on the planet. Baby brains. By design, this is what they are. She says that instead of looking at babies and children as defective adults in training, 
We should think of them as a different developmental stage of our same species. That statement's blowing your mind, huh? <laughs> Well, of course, we, we all know that babies and children are human and that they're not in the same developmental stage as a master carpenter or neurosurgeon, but Gopnik goes on to using the analogy of a caterpillar and a butterfly for us to better understand the developmental stage of babies and their brilliant brains. But guess who she says is the caterpillar and guess who she says is the butterfly in this metaphor? Children whose evolutionary job is to learn are flitting around the garden, exploring and tasting each plant, seemingly without purpose. They're the butterflies. While us adults are more concerned with keeping our heads down and completing the task at hand so that we can eat it, and check that enormous leaf off of our to-do list. And now on to the next one. Children learn by getting into everything, otherwise known as playing. Gopnik had another great metaphor for the difference in the way that children and adults learn to explain how play is never just about having fun. For children, that is. I adore this metaphor. She explains how the typical adult brain functions more like a spotlight. We hone in, we, we focus our attention on, on one thing or task at a time, or we try to anyhow. I have a hard time doing that without coffee. And, um, and we value the ability to do so culturally as adults. We count ourselves as on a roll or in the zone and spend hours attempting to meditate on a singular object or thought or to try to clear our minds completely. Children's minds, however, are more like lanterns. And they're not very skilled at focusing on one thing at a time, but they're really great at noticing Lots of different things at one time. Everything around them. So it's not that kids aren't paying attention to you. It's that kids are paying attention to you and everything else as well. They're really bad at not paying attention to everything. It's not that they're bad at paying attention. It's that they're really good at paying attention. In order to reconnect our minds once more with the ability to experience awe and wonder, to be open to innovation, to creativity, and allow our imaginations to view concepts in completely new ways, we may engage in playful learning with kids. That's a way to do it. We talk about play as if it's a waste of time. We say things like, just having fun, just. As if fun can't be uh, and isn't probably the most important soul-nourishing goal, just on its own. As if enjoying life 
And taking a few moments to be silly wastes time and prevents us from doing more important things like working and making money so that we can better enjoy life. We need not have either or. Work and play are important. And I'm not speaking of the way that I typically typically think of work hard, play hard. I don't mean work, 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 take a vacation to Africa that you've been scrimping and saving for over a year. I'm about to do that, by the way. Uh, (laughs) I'm referring to the little silly games we play to make each other smile. Digging in the sand simply for the sake of re-exploring how it feels running between our fingers, spontaneously chasing your pet until they're sure that you've lost your mind and you're wondering it yourself. I'm advocating for real play. My favorite memory of the past week, which I'm sure will, over time, turn into one of my favorite memories of this past life, if I can take it with me wherever I'm bound, was when my lady and I were shopping in H-E-B a few days ago, and she suddenly started to, completely straight-faced, to slyly shove me sideways until I was pinned to the shelves. And uh, I had no explanation for why, (laughs) aside from the possibility that she'd lost her mind I struggled to get away, and so giggling, and and I did so until I was giggling and red in the face with embarrassment as passers-by grinned at me in solidarity, and there I was pinning, and there she was straight face, and 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 stuck there I was, and and people walked by and and knew that it was nothing but innocent fun, and and I struggled. <laughs> And then she'd let me go and keep pushing the cart as if nothing happened. And she kept doing this. She did this several times, crazy lady. Um, (laughs) And in between pinnings, we ran into a member of this church (laughs) and our downstairs neighbor. And I was just red. And, And it was so much fun. And I'd forgotten... Uh, for a few days at least, because she is known to be crazy and fun. Um, uh, How fun just spontaneous play can be. Play, it's the most inexpensive fun there is. And it deeply connects us to each other. To those who better value concepts like play, if a learned scholar has attached research to it, myself included if I'm honest, Dr. Stuart Brown, founder of the National Institute for Play, the guy whose initial research with convicted, uh, was with convicted murderers, demonstrated that a common theme in their lives had been a sad deficiency of play during childhood. He tells us that the opposite of play isn't work, it's depression. That play is not simply rehearsal for adult activity, but it has merit for its own sake. It is its own biological entity. Play is a 
huge source of our fulfilling one of our basic spiritual needs. And yes, we all do have basic spiritual needs. Just as we have basic physical ones, food, water, shelter. Play actually strengthens our feelings of connectedness to each other. Brown says that the basis of human trust is established through play. That he says that we understand the play signals that others give us, verbally and physically. And as children, we... Uh, as children, as adults, excuse me, as adults, we begin to lose those signals, culturally and otherwise. And, and as adults, that's a shame. Because we've lost something valuable. That's probably why I was caught by surprise when suddenly I was being inched. <laughs> Lucky for us. We have a growing number of resident experts right here on the seriously crucial spiritual practice of play, right here in this congregation. Most of them are, are growing rapidly taller than me, right before our eyes. First UU of Austin operates a loving and thriving cooperative children and youth religious education program, which means that Parents of enrolled children are required to give at least eight hours of their time to the program each year. One of the many ways to do this is by interacting, also known as playing, with our kids during Sunday school and youth group meetings. Learning alongside them through their wisdom and insight and their illuminating lantern minds as they encounter ways of exploring their world, their thoughts, their relationships, and their understanding of Unitarian Universalism. But this opportunity is not only reserved for parents, and not all parents are the sort that do well in the classroom. If you're interested in engaging and being taught in, in this spiritual practice and being taught by our children and teens... In this way, being transformed in connecting with other members of this fascinating species of ours across the generations and in understanding Unitarian Universalism and science and mysticism and yourself and all the ways that all of that is actually the same thing in ways you've never imagined. Consider becoming a volunteer teacher. It isn't as scary as it may sound. It isn't like I'm saying, consider become a yogi or becoming a yogi or a guru if you've never practiced yoga or meditation. We have curricula, we have resources, we have support. And not all Sundays with, Sundays with children and teens are magical. Some are tough. But like all other sacred spiritual practices... Religious education and exploration with our youngest UU elders requires a humble yet courageous spirit and an open heart. It's holy work. It's ministry in the truest sense of the word. It's a hospitality, as Parker says, that benefits the host even more than the guest. 
One of my favorite lines in Maria Harris's Fashion Me a People curriculum in the church, one of the classics that we all have to read in seminary, is, quote, Whether in church or beyond, teaching itself is a fundamentally religious activity in the sense that it is always at root in the direction of deepest meaning, ultimate origin, and final destiny. If teachers would take off their shoes on each teaching occasion in the conviction that they are walking on holy ground, they could envision this truth more easily. Mm. While it would be awesome if all this congregation, all of you here, upon hearing this summer sermon, leapt up from the pews and ran to the Lifespan RE table in the gallery to sign up for classroom time, um, that would be great, but that's an unrealistic expectation on my part. What I do hope, though, is that a critical mass of you does just that. <laughs> But that all of us remember to daily play, to whether figuratively or literally take off our shoes, realizing that in doing so, we're on holy ground. My prayer is that through this very serious business of silly, seemingly meaningless play, we are engaging in the very essence of what it means to be living members of this vast universe. May it be so. Today's benediction is by Annie Dillard. We are here to abet creation and to witness to it, to notice each other's beautiful face and complex nature so that creation need not play to an empty house. Go and play. Amen. This is a presentation of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, visit our website at www.austinuu.org.